Let me share with you the news for this morning and our Lottie Moon Christmas offering march to this point. We have received $54,326 toward our goal. So we look forward to that. We still got a couple of Sundays left and we just pray that God will continue to bless and move in the hearts of our people as we undergird what God is doing through the International Mission Board. A few Sundays ago, I told you the story about the first Christmas gift that I ever gave Judith. And I want you to know that we got home and I asked her, do you really know where that bear is? And she showed me in her closet where that bear is. I guess I should have brought him this morning, but I didn't. Instead, I thought what I would tell you is a story about one of the most memorable gifts that I received from Judith. It was a Christmas years ago when my children were young. Jamie was about seven years old. Bethany wasn't yet three yet. It was almost Christmas time, and we were getting ready for things, but it was the day of our Christmas Eve communion service, and Judith insisted that she and Jamie needed to leave home and go away for a little while because they had something they needed to do. Well, this was one of those days when it was kind of alternating between rain and sleet and snow, and she wanted to go all the way from Aliceville to Birmingham, and I said, this is not the day to be traveling on the road you need to be here besides we've got church tonight this is the Christmas communion service you need to be here for that and she insisted she was going to go and that morning she and Jamie loaded up and they left and I had no clue where they were and all day long I alternated between being worried about them and being aggravated with them. I won't lie to you now. Young people, this was back in the stone ages when there was no such thing as a cell phone. And the only way you could communicate with somebody was to stop and use a payphone somewhere, which obviously did not occur to my wife because I didn't hear from her all day long. It got to be time for church and time to get ready for the service. And I had to bundle up and get little Bethany ready and take her to church all by myself. Can you imagine asking a man to do that? <laughs> and we got there, and just as the service was beginning, I saw Judith and Jamie slip into the service. And we had our communion service, and we went home. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even pretend to hide the fact that I was aggravated, that she had worried me all day long and barely made it to church. Christmas came the next day, and one of the presents I found under the tree was an envelope. And as I opened that envelope, I discovered that all I had was the first clue to a treasure hunt that was going to take me all around town on Christmas morning. And we went from one place to another place to another place to another place until finally it led me to my friend David Gentry's house. And then as we got to their house, around behind their house, and that was when I found Lexi. And Lexi was my new Siberian Husky puppy. What a great present for a grumpy guy. That's one of the challenges of Christmas, though, isn't it? 
One of the challenges of Christmas is finding that perfect gift for somebody that shows them how much you care. Finding that gift that's just exactly right. Finding that gift where you're going to see that expression on their face and you're going to be so glad that you spent the time or the money or the trouble or whatever it required in order to give them something that they really do love. The passage we read from Galatians this morning says that God took that same care to send our world the gift that we needed the most. And that passage is another phrase that is part of the vocabulary of Christmas. This is what it says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time. What an incredible phrase when we think about the fact that God sent his son and he called him Jesus. It happened at just the right moment. The fullness of time. The perfect gift given at the perfect moment. And this year... We need that kind of moment. If we've ever needed the Lord, if we've ever longed for his grace, if we've ever sought the hope that he brings, it is today. Today as we go toward Christmas and every time you turn on your television or watch the news, it seems as though you're hearing about one more crisis, one more problem, one more tragedy, one more struggle. And you wonder, where is the Lord in the midst of all of this? Lord, we need the fullness of time. The Bible tells us that a long time ago, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So what were the conditions that revealed the fullness of time? Excuse me, the fullness of time when Jesus came, and how can we experience the fullness of time today? Well, the Bible tells us the fullness of time came when everybody realized something was wrong. When Jesus was born across the known world, there was a sense of fear and frustration. People described it in all kinds of different ways. They talked about the things that were going on. They talked about natural disasters. They talked about conflict between people. They talked about how things seemed to be falling apart. And everybody had a different explanation for why things are going so wrong. But everybody knew this. Things are not right in the world these days. Galatians uses a specific word to describe what things were like in the world in the time when God sent his son. Galatians uses the term bondage. It says the world was in bondage. To be, uh, to be in bondage is to be trapped. It is to be under the influence of something you can't control. It is to be unable to change what is affecting you. To be in bondage means somebody else has got hold of you and you don't know how to get yourself loose again. It means you're in the midst of situations that you don't have any control over, circumstances that you can't do anything about, and you're not sure how to escape from bondage. There are all kinds of bondage in the world, but the worst kind is spiritual bondage where guilt and fear and oppression and doubt and struggle grab hold of your heart and your soul and you can't find a way to make your way to the light. The Bible says the world was in bondage. 
When you're in spiritual bondage, you know something's wrong in your heart. When you're in spiritual bondage, nobody has to tell you that's what's going on because you know. You know because you feel cold all the way to the center of your soul. And you've tried to do anything you can to set yourself free. But you discover that no matter how hard you try, you can't fix your soul any more than you can fix the world. The Bible tells us that it is the fullness of time when you're finally willing to admit you need someone much bigger than yourself to straighten up the mess. Just as when Jesus came today, we live in a world that is entrapped by bondage. Emotional bondage, personal bondage, physical bondage, spiritual bondage. We continue to be in a, live in a world in which darkness sometimes seems to have control. And the truth is, there are times in your life and in mine when we wonder, how in the world did I lose control? How is it that I find myself in bondage? How can I set myself free? And the truth is, sooner or later, we come to the point of realizing, I can't do anything about it. No matter how hard I try and no matter what I do, I still find myself in bondage. Well, guess what? If you're in that season in your own life today, if you find yourself in a season of bondage in your life, you don't need to feel bad about it. You don't need to regret it. You don't need to turn away from it or deny it. What you need to do is recognize, you know what? I feel as though I am in all kinds of bondage. I find myself uh, trapped by all sorts of circumstances that I can't seem to break. And you know what you say next? You say, thank God. Thank God I find myself in bondage because when I recognize I am in bondage, then finally I'm willing to turn to the Lord and say, help me. Help me, I need somebody who can set me free again. I'm tired of being trapped the way I am. I need somebody who can give me new freedom. You know what the Bible describes that as? The Bible describes that as the fullness of time. When everything is finally right, when the conditions are set for God to do something in your life, then you admit something is wrong. Not only is something wrong, that something is bigger than me. Not only is that something bigger than me, I need somebody bigger than my problems to set me free from bondage. It's the fullness of time. But Galatians is not finished yet. It also says this, and it was the fullness of time when the world ran out of solutions. By the time God sent his son, the nations of the world had tried everything they knew to make everything right again. The Persians thought wealth was the answer. The wise men who came from the earth very likely came from the Persian Empire. By the time of Jesus, Persia was a great trading empire, dealing in precious goods from all over the world. 
Over the years, the gifts of the Magi, gold and frankincense and myrrh, have become symbolic of a lot of things. But one of the things they symbolized was these were very wealthy men who came from a very wealthy place. The gifts they brought were not the kind of gifts that ordinary people had any possibility of bringing. They just could not afford to deliver to the baby Jesus the things that came when the Magi would come to visit him. They were symbols of great wealth, and the men who followed the stars, were, a star, were immensely wealthy men because these were gifts that they could afford. The Persians sought peace through wealth, but it was never enough. And too many people in our world today are thinking, I can buy peace on earth. Well, maybe not peace on earth, but peace within my family. Well, maybe not even peace within my family, but surely I can accumulate enough wealth that I can have peace within my own heart. It reminds me of the story of John D. Rockefeller, who, when a man asked him, how much is enough, said, just a little bit more. Just a little more. Because those who believe that wealth is going to be the answer are going to find no matter what I accumulate and how much I can afford, there's always that desire for a little more to make me secure, to give me peace. The Persians thought wealth was the answer. The Greeks were sure wisdom was the solution. Greece was regarded all over the world as the center of knowledge and wisdom. People traveled from far and wide to sit at the feet of Greek philosophers and learn from their great wisdom. They loved to sit around and exchange ideas with one another and talk about how wise they were and the knowledge that they had accumulated and understand something. And they were very wise people. So many things that we continue to enjoy today in terms of uh, philosophies of government and culture and education come from the Greek philosophers from thousands of years ago. And the Greeks were sure that the more you knew, the more secure you could be, the more secure you were, the happier you would be, the happier you would become, the more you would experience real peace the truth is there's never been a society that valued learning the way the Greeks did yet for all their wisdom their culture was crumbling around them by the time of Jesus Greece who had once which, Greece which had once been the, the place that everybody in the world wanted to uh, appeal to had already begun to crumble away and fall under the influence and the sway of Rome. Knowledge was never enough. We're tempted in our own day to think that knowledge is all we really need. The more technology, the happier a culture is going to be. And we have discovered over the last 20 years just how empty a promise that can be. We recognize wisdom is never going to be enough. Knowledge is never going to be enough. You can have all of the head knowledge that you could possibly acquire. And if you don't have heart knowledge and soul knowledge, then you don't know the things 
that really mattered. As I said, the Greeks fell under the sway of Romans, and that's important because the Romans were convinced that power was the ultimate answer. Jesus was born during a unique period in history, a period that lasted 200 years. The world has never known anything like it before, never known anything like it since. You know what it was called? Those 200 years were called the Roman peace because there was a 200-year span in which there were no major wars being fought anywhere in the world. Why was that? Because Rome had conquered the known world at that time. They ruled everybody and everything that they could discover. And every nation was in subjection to Rome. And when Rome decided we will keep the peace, they kept it with a heavy hand. For years, no major wars took place, no conflicts were happening because the Romans would make sure that anybody who tried to create conflict in the world would be handled swiftly and ruthlessly. The Romans believed that power created order and order created prosperity. If an empire like ours filled with power, can control what is going on in the world, then we will compel peace on earth. But they also discovered that power bred corruption and complacency and rebellion. They discovered that while power can compel people to do what you want them to do, power has no influence over the human heart and over the human capacity for sin and over the human desire to rebel against God. And because of that, Rome as an empire would fall just like empires before them have fallen ever since empire, in the same way the empires since then have fallen. Power was just never enough. And then there were the Jews. The Jews were sure that the answer was found in religion. After all, they were the chosen people. The Lord had revealed himself to Abraham, to Moses, to David, through his prophets. Throughout their history, the Jewish people found their identity and their special relationship with God. It was what made them who they were. And the promise of a Messiah had been given to the Jews. And, but even they had a problem. You see, by the time of Christ, their living faith had been reduced to an overwhelming collection of rules. It was no longer about knowing and following and worshiping and serving God. It was all about keeping the rules. Making sure that you are one of those people who never made a mistake, who never fell short. Because if you did, then punishment was on its way. And they had stopped looking for a savior and depended upon obeying the rules to be in a right relationship with God. Religion had not worked. People had tried everything they could think of, but nothing worked for long. People are still trying today. After years and centuries, nothing has really changed. People still think the way to peace comes through having enough, knowing enough, controlling enough, or obeying enough. Those things don't work any better today than they did so long ago. We need to take time to 
to remember again about the fullness of time. See, the fullness of time revealed God's perfect plan. God sent his son. He was born of a virgin. He came to be our savior. Because when it comes down to it, that's what we need the most. We need to know that we belong to a God who loved us enough to save us. Who loved us enough to send his son. Yes, he was born a baby, but that was not who he came to be. He came to be a baby who grew to be a man who came to be a savior who would give his life on a cross and then rise again to open the door to everlasting life. And that's what we need in the fullness of time. You see, we don't need to be improved. We need to be redeemed. We don't need to be made to look better. We need to be transformed from the inside out redeemed from our sins, redeemed from our failures, redeemed from our lostness. We need to be transformed from who we were to who we can be. I was listening, Kimberly, as you were talking about Lottie Moon a while ago and how God transformed her life. And that's the testimony of everybody in this room who is a Christian believer. I remember who I was I remember what he did. I know who I am because of Jesus. In fact, if you can't say that, then you need to stop and check yourself and ask yourself whether you really are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ because if you're unchanged, you're probably unsaved. And that's something you need to settle during this season when we celebrate his birth. We need the salvation that only comes through Bethlehem. They needed it then. We need it now. We don't need to follow rules. We need to follow Jesus. That's what Galatians tells us. We don't need to follow the rules. We need to follow the Savior because it's faith in the Son of God that makes it possible for you to be adopted into the family of God. He is the hope of the world. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. And we know exactly what that meant. The Bible is talking about the fullness of time being that moment, that instant when God said, now is the time when I send my son to save the world. But the truth is also this. Today may be the fullness of time for your life. Today may be the moment that the Lord has set aside to begin a personal relationship with you. And this is your moment. And this is your time. Well, how do I know? 
How do I know whether that is true? If he's dealing with you, you know. You know. There's no doubt about it. You know who he is. You know what he wants. All he needs for you to do is surrender. And maybe you're here today and the truth is that like those people so long ago, you have searched in every direction you could imagine trying to find a right relationship with God and nothing has worked. And maybe that's because what God needs today is simple surrender. Surrender to the Son of God. Could today be your fullness of time? Could today be your moment when you need to trust Jesus? In a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. And as we sing, if you feel him stirring in your heart, don't walk out these doors and say, I'll take care of this another time. You come. I would love to introduce you to the Savior. Or maybe you need to come and to plant your, your membership and your service and your life in this church. Maybe there's another decision. We're going to stand we're going to sing. As God deals with you, you come. Let's stand together. a good day in God's house today. Now, I've had several questions this morning about, remind me again about the schedule for the next couple of weeks. So, get out your pencil and your paper, and I'm going to walk you through everything that's going on for the next couple of weeks, okay? So, tonight, no evening services. Uh, so, plan on doing something special with your family this evening. Next Sunday, we'll not have Sunday school services, but we'll have a regularly scheduled Sunday morning worship time. So we look forward to spending Christmas Eve together in our regular worship time Sunday morning. And then Sunday night at 5 o'clock, we'll be back here for Christmas Eve communion. And it's going to be a very special service. We're really looking forward to that. 
And then the following Sunday, New Year's Eve, we're going to have combined Sunday school and regular worship on Sunday morning and nothing on Sunday evening. Okay? If you have any questions, then uh, talk to Larry and he'll be glad to straighten you out. <laughs> if he can't do it, I would tell you look for Sam, but Sam's going to be in and out these next week or so. So we look forward to sharing a very meaningful Christmas time. Our Christmas Eve communion is without a doubt my favorite worship service of the year. Okay. I'm glad we got to share this time. It was wonderful to hear from Suzanne as she sang for us a little while ago. But all Joe got to do was play the piano. So, Joe, would you make your way up to the pulpit and lead our closing prayer? And then after that, and a final song, and we'll be dismissed. I have one announcement. This worked last time, so we're going to try it again. The handbills have to be moved around to the handbill room. So if you're strong of back and you love Jesus then you'll come down and help us. So that puts you in a place of decision this morning. But we need some help moving these after the service, if you'll help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the gift of being in worship together today. We thank you for this family, this, uh, this opportunity to praise you, and the opportunity to hear from your word and to be challenged to, to be children who live in joy, the joy of salvation and the gift of Christmas, which is which is you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we go from this place, God, uh, help us to leave here different than we entered. Help us to serve differently than we did the week before. And we do all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.